Welcome to the Golden Age of Baseball with Eddie Robinson, baseball's oldest living player. Eddie was a four-time all-star first baseman, scout, coach, and front office executive during his amazing 65-year career in baseball. These podcasts will give the baseball enthusiasts the opportunity to share a slice of baseball history with someone who actually lived it. I was born in Paris, Texas in 1920. And 1929 was uh, started the Depression. So I was nine years old, and I saw the whole Depression. I went through the whole thing. My mother and father were divorced, and she and I uh, and her brother, uh, we made it through. I worked for my uncle. He owned a motor freight line, had old trucks haul freight. And I loaded trucks before school. I'd go to work five o'clock every morning and uh, get off at eight to go to school. And I made $6 a week. I did that all through high school and worked all day on Saturday. On Sunday, there was always a baseball game. And they were always semi-pro teams. Every little country town around Paris had its own team. And they would play each other. And uh, uh, Charlie Osborne lived a block away from me, and he had a son named Charles, and he wanted Charles to play ball. He was a baseball fan. And there was no team for him to play on. So, so his father started a team called Charlie Osborne's Cubs, and we played at a recreation park near us that had a ball field, a baseball diamond. and. If you couldn't afford bases, uh, and sometimes we didn't have bases, we'd ride, use dried-up cow patties <laughs> for bases. And we'd scrap together enough money to buy a baseball, and we would play a game every Sunday. Charlie Osborne's Cubs did. We would take a collection to buy baseball for the next Sunday. And we had some pretty good players. The Roosevelt had started the CCC camps at that time. And they worked and built parks and everything around different places. There was a camp near Paris. And we had a couple of guys from the CCC camp played on our team. Anyway, there was another team in town called the Coca-Cola Bottlers. And they played in the ballpark. So I played with the Cubs my freshman and sophomore year in high school. And then uh, Pop Nobles, who was the manager of the Coco Ballers, he wanted me to come and, and play with them. So I hated to do it, but I thought it would, if I had any, I wanted to be a professional player. I thought it would further my chances. So I, I joined from my junior and senior year in high school. I joined Pop Noble's Coca-Cola Bottlers. The Coca-Cola Bottlers were pretty fancy. They had red satin uniforms. And we went to the state semi-pro tournament in Waco, Texas. And we got beat pretty good, but we won the trophy for the best-dressed team <laughs> with our red satin uniform. 
Anyway, in playing for the Bottlers, uh, a scout saw me play and uh, wanted to sign me. He was a scout for the Knoxville Smokies of the Southern League, and he offered me a $300 bonus. Well, I was pretty good semi-pro player, and uh, Uncle Billy Dish, who was a coach of University of Texas at that time, had offered me a four-year scholarship to the University of Texas. Well, that was all well and good, and I'm sure that it would have been great to go there for four years, but Bully McLean was the scout's name who signed me, and uh, his offer of $300 cash was really big to a family like we had. And uh, we talked it over, and we, it was probably not very logical, but we said, well, it, it, four years of college, you graduate, and then you can play baseball or not. But in four years in pro ball, if I'm good enough, I might be in the big leagues. Well, what do you think happened? I, I signed to play pro ball. I took the $300 bonus, and in four years, I was in the big leagues. But I, I, a lot happened between that day and the day, when, day I went to the big leagues. Anyway, I got took a $300 bonus. I bought my mother a washing machine that had a, a dryer on it where you put the clothes in and run them through the dryer, hand-driven hand dryer. She was so happy with it, and she really needed it. So uh, I went off to spring training with the Knoxville Smokies, and they, they trained in Valdosta, Georgia. And Valdosta is a little southern town, about 30 miles from the Florida lines, really far down South Florida. Valdos was having a professional team for the first time, and and they had courted uh, the Knoxville Smokies, and the Smokies had agreed to come there for spring training, and then players that the Smokies didn't use on their team, they would send to Valdosta to help them get a team, and Valdosta signed some players also. So uh, I went through spring training with Knoxville. I knew I wasn't going to make the team, and they optioned me to Valdosta, and I was going to play for them for the year. Valdosta was a sleepy little southern town. I remember they had one movie show, and the one big movie that I saw in that show was Gone with the Wind. It was made in 1939. 38 or 39, and that was a, one of the movies that I saw at that show. I played, uh, I got off to a terrible start with Valdosta, and the first month of the season, I was hitting under 250, which wasn't good at all. I wasn't pleased with it, and I knew they weren't pleased with it. I was just afraid that I was going to get released and have to go back to Paris, and, and I would have been a failure. I would have turned down the college scholarship and lost my eligibility for sports. What would I have done? I don't know what I would have done. But anyway, 
We were in Albany, Georgia. This is a funny story. We were in Albany, Georgia. That's the only town that we spent the night where, where we stayed overnight. And uh, we, we were in a hotel in Albany. I got up in the morning and had breakfast, and the manager was sitting, and he was having breakfast at the same time. And I didn't want to see him. I, I was afraid he's, of what he might tell me. And uh, I went up to pay my check, and uh, I started out the door, and he said, Hey, Robbie. That was my nickname. They called me Robbie. Uh, he said, Come over here. I got something I want to tell you. And I just, I knew it was coming. I just knew he was going to release me. But I went over, and he said, uh, I got to tell you, we got another first baseman coming in. Well, my heart sank because I knew that was it. They had another first, they weren't going to have two first basemen. But he said, and I knew what he's going to say next, but he said, he fooled me, he said, we aren't going to release you. And I, I said, boy, I'm glad of that. I said, I know I can hit better than I'm hitting. He said, but it's not your hitting that's bothering me, it's your fielding. <laughs> I'm hitting 250. He's gonna, he's gonna release me. I thought he was because of my hitting, but it was my fielding that was disappointing him. Anyway, he said, "You got to learn to catch pickups, balls and infielders, and in, in class D baseball threw a lot of wild balls to first base, and I I wasn't too good at catching." And he said, you got to catch those balls that hop in the dirt. Well, I said I would, and I did. The next day, Eddie, I took my roommate, Eddie Lucon, out to the park, and uh, we set up the batting cage behind first base. So I didn't have to chase the ones that I missed. I didn't have to chase them so far. And he threw me ball after ball, high balls, low balls, balls in the dirt, and I got really, really good at catching them. I, could, I hardly ever missed a ball after that. And the next, they played that first baseman. His name was Leatherwood. They played Leatherwood for a few games and put me in the outfield. I played left field. And after a few games, they put Leatherwood on the bench and put me back on first, and I was there to stay. Uh, they let Leatherwood go, and I was the first baseman for the rest of the year. Well, I didn't hit any better. I hit 250 for the year, 249 to be exact. But I did drive in runs. I hit some home runs, and uh, it wasn't a washout year. They, I would have been welcome back the next year and thought I was going back there the next year. So... Uh, during the season, there, I had a friend, he was a steeplejack, and a steeplejack is a, a, a metal work. He works with uh, steel beams, put, putting them together for tall buildings. And they, they walk around up in, on those buildings like it's nothing. And uh, I know that most people have seen them walk around uh, building buildings like that. He liked me. And he, when I would hit a home run, he would take his hat off and pass it around the stands 
and people would donate money to me. And they not only donated money, I got dancing lessons, cakes, pies, all sorts of things in that hat that he passed around. And I'd take them over to my girlfriend's house after the game and, and we'd look at all of it. It was, it was great fun doing that. Anyway, we finished the season and my mother was still in Paris, so I went home that winter. My uncle, who was quite successful trucking business, the one I had worked for while I was going to high school, I went back and I showed him the 250 that I'd saved that the man had taken in collections. And he was tickled to death. And he took me down and opened an account for me at the bank. And he gave me a raise. He, I, during the winter, I made $12 a week. I got a $6 a week raise and uh, spent that winter in Paris. During the winter, I got a very disturbing letter from uh, Knoxville saying they had traded my contract to the Baltimore Orioles. I, don't, I didn't know why and nothing. They just told me that I'd been traded. Now, Baltimore had a team in the Georgia-Florida League, Thomasville, Georgia. They had a very short right field fence. I would have hit a lot of home runs, but I didn't want to go to Thomasville. I wanted to go back to Valdosta. And I was very disappointed. But about a week later, I got a letter from the Baltimore Orioles saying I'd been optioned to Valdosta. So I was really going back to, they were optioning me back to Valdosta. Well, it turns out that uh, Baltimore and Knoxville had made a deal. It must have been kind of a shady deal, but in order to get the money to uh, Knoxville from Baltimore, Knoxville had to give them a player. So they gave me the player for $10,000. And now Knoxville's got, Baltimore optioned me back to Valdosta. If I, and Valdosta could, I mean, Knoxville could recall me at the end of the season. If, if Baltimore didn't recall me, I was Knoxville's player playing in Valdosta. But Baltimore held on to me. I went, I went back to Valdosta, and I had a super year. I was on the all-star team. I hit 320. I drove in 100 runs, and, and I hit nine home runs, which wasn't bad because we had a big ballpark. And I, and I really had a great year. And Baltimore did not release me back to Valdosta. They recalled me back to Baltimore, which meant I was their property. So now I belong to Baltimore. I've had a bad year in Valdosta and a good year. And uh, I decided not to go back to Paris My after my second year. I spent the year in uh, the winter in Valdosta and worked for the Coca-Cola people. <laughs> I'd made friends with uh, Jeff Holmes, whose father owned the Coca-Cola plant there. And we were great friends and had a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Golden Age of Baseball with baseball legend Eddie Robinson. If you have questions for Eddie or would like to suggest a topic for him to discuss, please email eddie.robinson65 at yahoo.com. This is Greg Ricks inviting you to check out Eddie's other podcasts 
And for an even deeper dive into the golden age of baseball, read his autobiography, Lucky Me, My 65 Years in Baseball, which you can find on goodreads.com and on Amazon. Amazon.